Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by Sure Legendary Microphones, Cutting Edge Wireless Systems, Premium Earphones and Headphones. Sure, the most trusted audio brand worldwide. For more information, go to Sure.com. And now your host, Al Levy. This show is brought to you by URM Academy, the world's best education for rock and metal producers. You know us for Nail the Mix, but today I'm here to tell you about Ultimate Drum Production, our course that's going to completely transform the way you think about and record drums. You're going to be hearing a lot more about it in the coming weeks, but in the meantime, head over to ultimatedrumproduction.com to learn more. Hello, everybody. This podcast is cool because... I am in Portland and hanging out with my friend, Mr. Chris Crummett. And we figured, shit, let's do an episode. And what I like is that he's already been on the podcast a few times. He's done Nail the Mix. He's done a fast track with us. I mean, he's done a lot of stuff. We are familiar with each other. We're actually filming a new course. But, uh, you know, all the introductory stuff is out of the way, which means that unless we want to be really boring we got to find new stuff to talk about, which means that we can go deeper. And that's what we did. And if I'm being honest, sometimes talking about microphones and gear get really, really boring for me. I think the real stuff is to find out somebody's motivations and what's behind everything that they're doing. Because if you don't have a good story and you don't have your tastes very well defined, then I feel like you're just kind of grasping, clutching, just aiming, I guess, blindly through an audio desert. I think your taste is what guides you. It's your North Star. And it's one of the most important things a producer, a musician, an artist, anybody who creates can develop is that point of view, their unique point of view based on all their experience and their taste. This is what it means to be a, a true producer is to use that point of view to help realize somebody else's vision. It's uh, it's pretty deep when you think about it, but that's what we talk about. Without further ado, I give you Mr. Chris Crummett. Hi. Hi. How's it going? Pretty good. Good. Welcome back. Well, actually, I'm in your place, but... Uh, yeah. So welcome back to me, but uh, wel- <laughs> welcome back to you. Welcome back to you as well. Thanks. Well, and thank you. Um, when's the last time we did this? It was like... 2015 or 16. Yep, it would have been 15 or 16. Wow. I've actually known you a while now. Well, and then I did another, I did like a solo podcast. Yeah, that was like 17. Yep, but it's been a little bit. Yeah, well, that time that you hooked up my boot camp was in 2014. Mm -hmm. That was before this studio was built. Yeah. You would have been sitting on my lawn right now. (laughs) So... That's kind of kind of a messed up reason you told me about that you had to leave your last studio. Can we talk about that at all? Oh, uh, well, I mean, yeah, that's not okay. the only reason, but uh, definitely part of it. Well, so what we're talking about is that just uh, there were uh, quote unquote undesirables defecating in the parking lot all the time. Yeah, there was a. It would uh, mess up. I guess you'd have people come by and have to step over that or step in it on their way to their cars. And yeah, a lot of uh, 
it's a lot of a lot of people camping out and um yeah <laughs> i am super security minded yeah always have been um at my old studio i don't know i had like this crazy ass metal gate and then also um reinforced windows to where like they could stand like a two by four at 185 miles per hour oh. and then cameras inside cameras outside trained german shepherd a couple guns like deadbolts on <laughs> everything oh because well, and i feel like florida and oregon share the crackheads there's a lot of crackheads for sure and there's a lot of people just you know like camping out and the guys would be drunk and passed out on the front door. No one was getting in the studio. I mean, we had we had bars on all the doors. We had cages on the doors, bars on all the windows. Um, no one was going to get into the studio, but there was really no way to fence the parking lot. So our it was like literally like a weekly car break in, sometimes multiple times a week that I was dealing with, and uh, just a lot of um, stuff that made clients uncomfortable. So. Had to get away from that, but that wasn't the only thing. Honestly, there's there's a lot of a lot of factors. Um, you know, I think honestly the biggest factor aside from that was just the fact that I wanted to own my space and I was in a position where That's fair enough where I would rather just make an investment instead of paying someone rent. I had no problem doing the rent thing for a long time, but um, that wasn't going to happen in a in a in a place in in the city like downtown so i feel like if you're going to pay someone rent it better be an ideal situation exactly and i just needed a little more peace mm-hmm. my clients needed a little more peace yeah i feel like anything that makes clients feel uncomfortable like, yeah for their personal safety yeah um, yeah it's not conducive to a very great session I don't know where no, I get not that at all. idea. I could be crazy. Yeah, no, but. no, no, not at all. I mean, it's it's super important for people to feel comfortable and allow them to be artistic and not be thinking about real life stuff. I mean, that's part of coming to the studios. It's like a little bit of a work for work vacation for people, um, in the sense that like they need to escape all the things that are preventing them from being artistic and need to just make the art and get the job done. And and any of that extra stuff is is just getting in the way. Did you ever think it was a security concern? I mean, you said you had bars on the windows, but were you worried about break-ins at the studio, or was it no no one even knew it was a studio? Well, people really didn't know it was a studio for the most part. We I've always tried to keep my location off the map, like my exact location. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, it was secure. I mean, we had an alarm system. Uh, It really and and there was people like there was somebody there was multiple studios, um, and there was somebody there working at least. Pretty much twenty four seven. Yeah, like there was always somebody there, but uh, but that didn't worry me too much. Um, it was just the security of the parking lot and um, and and other stuff. Um, honestly, I think I was more worried about the roof caving in than people breaking <laughs> in. I used to have nightmares. All the it was like a Why? flat. Well, flat roof in Oregon is just like a rain catcher, oh, and okay. it was a super old sixties um, seventies flat roof that. I have no idea when the last time it was actually redone, and there was it leaked all the time. Um, I, I had places in my live room that I just wouldn't put expensive mics because of the possibility of a leak. Um, that leaks that kept coming back. I mean, it was that roof was probably fifty percent wet patch by the time I left. It was just awful. Um, I went to a and, studio uh, in Oakland recently, Oakland, California. Yeah, and it's one of the nicest studios I've been in, but it was in Oakland, and. Uh, <laughs> So 
for people who aren't familiar, Oakland is a, is a rough area. The security measures that they had in place were like huge doors. And the dude who owned it lived there. So he had this like bank vault door to get up to his Whoa. living area. And it was just like That's bank vaults and like serious gates and cameras and like the, the whole nine. Basically, because yeah. it's they had two, like two SSL rooms, I believe, or maybe one was an API board or something. I don't remember exactly, but basically, two huge control rooms with boards, massive live room, amazing facility, just in the middle of a war zone, and so yeah, they protected it like a war zone. He said that he was never really too worried about anything happening, though I don't believe it because. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All that security means you're worried about something. Yeah, happening. yeah. Well, you don't worry after you have the security, I guess. But you should, but yeah. not as much. Did you hear what happened at Morrison Studios? The one in Florida. Yeah, the one. In Florida. Yeah, yeah. That was. Was crazy. that an intern or something, or what was? It wasn't I forget an intern. How. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but they got emptied out, right? Yes, they yeah. got totally. Well, they didn't take the SSL, but they took the power supply. Um, yeah, it was someone who took a studio tour. That's um, and right. When they took the tour, they cased it out, found yeah. the weakness, and which was the sliding glass door yeah. in the back, and then showed up at like two in the morning and took everything minus the SSL or the yeah. SSLs. I think they had two. But yeah. But the thing is that that shit was all found. Yeah. In a warehouse in North Carolina, like a year oh. later. Oh, wow. I something. didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, apparently. There were other studios' stuff in these where in this warehouse. Gotcha. Yeah, these guys were doing this. It was just a professional operation. Yeah, still in studio stuff. But then putting it in a warehouse. That's, yeah, that's weird. Yeah, what are you going to do with it? Did they have an eBay account or something, or like I don't know. Found any of that stuff? I don't know about that part. Yeah, it just seems to me like a tough business to go into. Um, ripping off high-end studio gear because not that many people own high-end studio gear. Yeah, and it's unique. Mm-hmm. And if you're a good studio owner, you've got all your serial numbers and yeah. keep all that stuff, all your receipts and everything. So Yeah, and the moment a big studio gets hit, everybody with a studio finds out about it. Yeah. Kind of like when that Lamb of God guitar got stolen. Did you hear about that a few no, months ago? No, one of One of their like custom... Guitars got stolen. Yeah. Uh, and then, like, two days later, I do think it popped up on eBay or something like that. Yeah. It's kind of amazing. I don't know what people are thinking when they do that stuff. Probably not thinking. Yeah, definitely not thinking. Um, yeah. There's smarter ways to be a criminal. I just I think that stealing stuff that's super customized mm-hmm. and that someone well-known owns is probably not a good idea. No. No, it's ridiculous. Doesn't yeah. make any sense at all. It's not how I would go about it. But if you saw a picture of these it, of the people who took the Lamb of God guitar, it definitely had that faces of meth kind of look. Yeah, desperate move. Yeah, not a calculated move. Yeah, I don't think it worked out too well. I mean, have you ever had? Have you ever had just clients lift your shit? Mm, um, I've I've had some small things disappear here and there. Um, Half the time when I, that happened, it was my fault. Yeah. I just misplaced something. 
Yeah, no, I've, I mean, I've had that too, for sure, of like thinking like, how could, where could this possibly be unless someone took it and then a year later you're like, how did that get there? Uh, like, but re- no, really no, start hating had, this uh, one band because I'm yeah. sure that one dude who was really weird took it and like developing this whole narrative in my head and then I find it a yeah. year later under a mattress. I try not to do that because my Cause mind will run. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I've definitely, there's been a couple situations where it was very clear um, that something was taken and, and who took it, but it's pretty rare. I mean, in 20 years, maybe once or twice. Um, the weirdest bad. the weirdest one, the weirdest one <laughs> was uh, there was a time period where, uh, God, my parents don't even know about this. <laughs> really, I mean, I, I guess they know. Gonna, I doubt they're going to listen. Uh, they might. I I thought that last time I did a podcast, <laughs> and then my mom was like, when did that happen? I don't remember that. And I'm like, well, oh, uh, mom, you didn't here's know. Here's another surprise well, yeah, for you. Here's <laughs> another one. Uh, there was a point where the studio was at, their, at my parents' house, and the only bathroom was in their house. This was a long, long time mm-hmm. ago. Um, and I was... Working with a client that at the time I didn't know was a heroin addict. Um, I found it out later, but I did find out that literally all of their spoons had been taken. <laughs> There's just no spoons. There's just no spoons anywhere in the house, in the studio, or anywhere. And uh, it coincided with with this guy leaving. Did, and, uh, did, did and, your mom ask you if you had seen the spoons? Yeah. She knew about that. I don't remember what I said. I'm sure I had a dumb answer for it, but I knew what happened pretty quickly. Um, wow. Because I found a couple burnt ones. Um, but uh, <laughs> but in general, and, and, funny, I didn't, and I didn't know, wow. and it was like decent silverware too, so I was like, I for for a long time in my head, I was just like, did he like pawn them somehow? <laughs> or did he just use them? I don't know. Probably well, if he only, I don't know how you could pawn spoons, but well, if he only took the spoons, yeah, it's not like he took all the silverware. Yeah, if he took he only took spoons. All the spoons. Yeah. I think there was probably only eight spoons to begin with. Well, I mean, how but long anyways, was the I knew, I knew, I knew, I knew that one. That's one of the few ones that I knew. There was uh, one. The he was mo- there for a few weeks. So the most insane one that happened to me was when I had this back surgery in like 2012, and so. I decided that I wasn't going to record for about a week while I recovered. And so I rented my place out to these other two producers while I, I lived at my place. So I was like, I'm just going to be in my room yeah. on drugs and you guys can use this. The only rule is no strangers. Yeah. So guess what rule they broke? Yeah. So I think when I went for the follow-up, like I had the surgery and then a few days later I had to go in for a follow-up. When I went to the follow-up, that's when they brought some stranger over who was the mentor, quote-unquote mentor, for the artist that was recording. Mm -hmm. And that guy, I guess, saw the mic collection, and he took a U87 um, that didn't even belong to me. It belonged to Sukhoff. I I had the mic locker at my house, so it had like my mics and Sukhoff's mics. And Mark's mics, um, well, some of his, they were mainly mine and Jason's. And the U87 was Jason's, so it wasn't even my shit, which made it even worse. Yeah. Um, and I only discovered it because two weeks later, I went to do a session, um, and I couldn't find a U87. Yeah. I was like, I called Jason, I was like, do you have the U87? Like, no. It's like, okay, I'll find it. I didn't 
I didn't let him know I was freaking the fuck out. Yeah. Um, looked everywhere, no U87. I was like, it can't be. It had to have disappeared during this session. That's the only thing that happened, and I used it right before that. Yeah. So I uh, I called the two producers up, and I was like, hey, do you guys use the U87s? Because there's one missing. They're like, yeah, but we put them back. It's like, well, they're not here. Well, one of them's not here. Yeah. So they came back and they were they were like white faced. Yeah. Like they were really scared, and they like looked under the couch and like tore everything up and couldn't find it. Um, I was like, did anybody come over that wasn't supposed to come over? Yeah. Uh, yeah. This one guy, but he was just an old guy. He wouldn't have taken it. So it turns out he took it, <laughs> um, and. He denied it at first. So what I did was I told them that um, they they were planning on coming back to finish, mm-hmm. uh, and so their artist had left his instruments there. Yeah. So I told them that either um, they get me the mic back within twenty four hours, or all the instruments that belong to this artist are getting sold to pay for a new U eighty seven. Yeah. And they're not getting their files. Yeah. Because they didn't back them up or take them with them. It showed up. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Showed up right like within three hours. So that, that was sucks. It sucks that that's yeah. what it takes for I know. People to be honest or people to yeah. sort things out with, with from their mistakes. I didn't wanna go I didn't wanna resort to that, but I mean, but you have to. I mean that, yeah. that's an expensive mic. It's yeah. not an SM fifty seven. No, it's, it's not a, like and it wasn't even oh, mine. it's like fifty bucks, okay, whatever. Yeah. I would have let it no. go if it was a fifty seven. Even if it was an SM seven B, I would have probably let it go yeah. just because you it's not worth it's not worth possibly being wrong when making an accusation like that over yeah. three hundred dollars. Yeah. But three thousand big difference. Yeah, big Big difference, mm-hmm. three thousand that don't even belong to me. So it was yep. something I was in the care of, yep. which just made it that much worse. But yeah, it showed up three hours later in a public, uh, in, in like a grocery bag. But it showed up. Man, that's that's ridiculous. Yeah, that musician dude couldn't look me in the face. He was doing the whole the averted face thing. Yeah, time. made. Man, that whole thing made me feel really weird and uncomfortable too because you hear about stories like that where someone ends up getting shot yeah. over something yeah. of that kind of value. Yep. Like you ask for the thing back and then it turns in it turns into one of those stories where some sort of like dispute between uh, business partners yeah. and ends up in someone getting shot. And in Florida... Yeah. Who, who? I mean, sounds like a floor, like a Florida story. Yeah. So. Right. Yeah. So protect your shit is yeah. the moral of the story. No, I know. I, I, I can't imagine the stress of having like a full time studio for hire. Yeah, it sucked. Well, after that, I installed the cameras. Yeah. And that changed everything. Um, and I let people know. I would show them the cameras and also just like hint that there were hidden ones. Yeah. Um, which there were. Yeah, and I felt like a dick saying that stuff at first, but it was like you know, it's going to be awkward for five minutes when I yeah. like threaten them with the cameras, but then they'll just know, and if we'll never have to talk about it again. Yeah, and if people don't understand, then they're probably not the people that yeah. you want there. Um, 
Yeah, it. I did not enjoy having to having to bring that up though with new clients. Mm-hmm. But I would just like as part of a tour of the yeah. of the place, I would just be like, and there's that, and there's that. So the live room, we got cameras, yeah, and a couple of hidden cameras, and here's the mics. <laughs> just toss it in <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. My dog will bite if uh, if you take yeah, man, U eighty seven. I think I'm more afraid of your dog than the guns. Dude, she's so nice. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure. I'm sure she is. She just, is. I would make people afraid of her just on principle, but yeah, she's like a total sweetheart. Never bit a client. <laughs> That's good. No, I actually got her trained to to not bite clients because that, that was also one of my greatest fears was having a a German Shepherd maul a client. Yeah. Could happen because you've got new people coming in all the time and stuff. idiots. Yeah, yeah. Who or some some dudes have like this phobia of dogs, um, where they're just petrified. The moment they see a dog, they're just petrified, and that makes a dog perk up and yeah. see that it's like mm, food. I know, or something. Because I'm a little bit one of those people. Did you have a bad dog experience? Um. Not the same as as most people that are justified to have a fear of dogs. Um, Just not a big fan. No, I, I actually have no problem with dogs, and I'm a lot better around dogs now as a thirty year old. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I had a weird dog growing up, but it wasn't that bad. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I had a friend who was attacked by a dog. I think that was the watching him get bit in the stomach by a dog when we were like whatever fifth sixth grade that was a little rough i think that was part of it um i I think people don't uh, appreciate that they have this predator living in their house yeah i i put i bought a cage for mine um i needed to put her in it this one time recently because i was going to be gone for 16 hours yeah and uh Sixteen hours is way too long to let her roam the house. Yeah, she'd fuck it up. Yeah, she bent it like the Incredible Hulk. Like Dang. it's amazing what they can do when they want to. Yeah, like, when they're left to their own devices and they're just not trying to please you, but they're just being animals. Yeah, like they're brutal. And that's I think my thing. My part of my fear for a long time was just not. It wasn't about not trusting dogs. It was about not trusting people. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't trust people to to. To, t- to take care of their dog or train their dog. So if I see a dog, yeah. if, if I, I don't feel this way as much now. I, I spent a lot of time, I had a friend uh, who bought a bigger dog six or seven years ago, and that dog was awesome and got me a lot more comfortable around bigger dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, that could be, you know, the kind of dog that could just rip your neck off if they wanted to. Um, but uh, I just didn't trust people, you know. If I see your dog and I see a dog that, could be potentially violent. It's like I don't know what, I don't know what you did. I don't know if you trained him. Um, I think that's fair, and I don't feel that way as much now because I just feel more comfortable around bigger dogs. But I definitely, it was definitely not so much a fear of dogs as a fear of neglect. shitty owners. Yeah, shitty owners. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, that's fair, actually, and accurate. That's one thing that I've noticed because we put so much time into training my dog, like. Put a lot of money into it. Sent her to like that boot camp mm-hmm. for six weeks and like continually re up the training and yeah, like really 
put a lot of money and effort into making sure that she was good. Yeah. Um, and she's great. But because of that, I see what people don't do or I see them reinforcing bad behaviors or mm-hmm. things like that. And it's like, yeah, you are a shitty owner mm-hmm. and your dog is either going to get killed or hurt somebody mm-hmm. or just annoy the shit out of everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah, think that's accurate. I know. Yeah. Some dogs just, yeah. We have, we have neighbors that they're better now, but they have four dogs that they just left outside all day and all night. And it was just. That sounds like uh, terror. Yeah. It would probably terrorize kids and. Oh, yeah. Barking at everybody all the time. And it's not the dog's fault. Like, it's not their fault that they're freaking locked outside. Like, no. Um, I remember when I was a kid, or biking. That they weren't trained, or that they no, it's not don't the know dog's right from fault. Wrong. It's a freaking dog. Like, but do you ever? Did you ever have this when you were a kid? Like, you'd be biking in a neighborhood, and there'd be like the one dog that was just yeah, you'd cross the street, yeah, and you'd know, yeah, you know that one dog that yeah. was just big dog, short fence, yeah, yeah, and he might come at you. So, mm-hmm. like, anytime you'd get near the house, you'd have to think about whether or not you'd have to like scan. To see mm-hmm. if, uh, oh yeah, that dog's around, yep, <laughs> or what's going on. Uh-huh. Just like always calculating if that dog is nearby, if he's going to notice you, like what the fuck's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yep, I had a dog like that that was on my way to elementary school, and just like basically anywhere I went in the house, I grew up for sure. Um, just a huge dog, short fence, old fence. You know, always up on top of it, like could easily jump it if it wanted to. Never did. Never did. Never, never actually like chased me, but always. It's not so bad. Always. You never actually got chased. But still. No, I, I mean, idea. I had by, I actually had by a different dog, but um, yeah, the dog that bit my friend jumped a fence and just. Just went for it. Yep. Ugh. How bad was it? It was pretty bad. He went to the hospital. I mean, he was fine, but it definitely like punctured his. His uh, he punctured his bowel and like oh damn, dude, it was like crazy. Yeah, it's straight up. Wow. Yeah, it was it was bad. Like a serious bite. Yeah, I had a dog that bit my brother in the stomach once, but he deserved it. <laughs> he, I have a brother that's ten years younger, and when he was like five or six or eight or something, yeah, he was just a hellion, and he he would like put on full hockey gear <laughs> or like. Uh, or like a baseball catcher uniform and yeah. then just go fuck with a dog uh, and like try to make it crazy. Yeah, and it would I don't be like that. it wouldn't be it's like you not funny but funny at the same time because like he's eight years old and he's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. In full gear and just like I mean, I don't think that the dog was having a bad time because they play rough. But then one yeah. day he got on the phone and was just talking on the phone and the dog just came up and bit him in the stomach out of nowhere. I was like, you know. Thought he was playing. Yeah, you kind of had that one coming. Yeah. I was like, you can't you can't be mad. Yeah. The, the, you had that one coming. Ah, uh, that's <laughs> but, rough. But yeah, full, full, full uh, baseball catcher uniform. <laughs> just to play with the dog. Yeah, including, well, dude, he'd go hard. Yeah. Dude, I had this one client who told me that his dad was a real savage um, and that he had a German shepherd. And once a year, he would, 
and he he swore up and down that this is true. Once a year, the dad just to like get in touch with his primal nature would get in the cage with the dog and uh, fuck with it till it would uh, attack him, which took a while because the German Shepherd's not going to attack its owner. Yeah, it takes a lot. Yeah. So it would take like a good 15 minutes of like prodding the dog until it finally went full beast and then they would fight. <laughs> it once a uh, year. It was like an and he swore up and down and then his band members swore up and down. They're like this guy's dad is a total savage that's motherfucker. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah, that's wild. Year, that sounds an, terrible. An, annual German Shepherd cage fight. Yeah. No, thank you. I would never in a million years do that. You can no. pay me enough money to do that. Nope. So what have you been up to? <laughs> <laughs> um, aside from not having a dog. Yeah, aside from that. I love dogs, though. I do like dogs. Don't pay, don't peg me as a good, uh, good anti-dog people, person. I have, anti, I have no problem with dogs. Anti-dog people are weird. and I'm an anti-bad dog owner. Same here. Um, as everyone should be. Then there'd be no bad dog owners. Um, no, I've just been making records, man. Uh, a lot of a lot of stuff coming out later this year. Um, had some cool stuff that was on hold for a while that came out earlier this year though that I was stoked about. Um, oh man, I'll I'll probably forget some stuff, but uh, the new Get Scared record that came out this year on Fearless, I was really stoked about because we recorded that a couple years ago. Um, and for one reason or, or another, it got put on hold. Um, I had a few always, records like that. That's always a was, bummer. Yeah, it was wild. Um, but I'm really glad it's out because it's an awesome record and it got really good reception. Um, Is the band? Did, how's the band? They are on hiatus currently. Um, yeah. I, I don't know what the status is, but... Uh, well, that kind of... I don't know if it's related to the record being on hold, but that's a band destroyer. Yeah, I think the I think it was the other way around in this case. The, oh, okay, the, the record band. was on hold because the 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 there was some inner things happening with the band that uh, I won't I won't get into because that's not my business. But um, the but I'm I'm just glad. Smart label. Well, yeah, I mean, I think just uh, yeah, there 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 was some stuff that happened, and so um, it made more sense to hold off on the release mm-hmm. um, on the business side of things. But I'm glad it's out. That's that's all that matters. I'm stoked that record's out. Um, a new Dance Gavin Dance single called Headhunter that came out this year and has an amazing video. Super, super cool. I mixed the new Issues record this year and they have a new oh, wow. single called Tapping Out that just came out, um, produced by Howard Benson. Um, it's a super cool record. Um, just mixed the new Tiny Moving Parts album that uh, is coming out on Hopeless. Uh, really cool band from Minnesota. Um, just like three-piece tapping guitar, guitar player sings and shreds at the same time type of stuff. Um, just mixed their record. They just had a single come out. Um, and then I've been I've been writing and working with a band called Ashland um, that's really awesome. That'll that that stuff will probably come out later this year. Um, a bunch of a bunch of cool stuff. Um, some stuff I can't talk about, which is a bummer, but it'll be when it comes out. I will, and it's and it's rad. And I'm sure there's stuff I'm forgetting that's like. Important. <laughs> Can we talk about Dance Gavin yeah. and Dance for a second? Yeah. That band is weird. And 
I don't mean that in a bad way, but they're just oh, yeah. an odd band. Yeah, they're an outlier for sure. Isn't they're, it, they're their own thing. Isn't it strange how big they are, considering how strange their music is? And it's I, I, yeah. I mean, it's not really strange to me because um, what part's not strange to you? The fact that they're popular because they've been like a slow grower for so long. Fair enough. Um, they're one of those bands that you know. I don't know. I think about I think about what our expectations are now for success and what how things worked like in the 90s or before or even the early 2000s where bands could keep putting out records and if it wasn't like a massive record the label would still put out another record mm-hmm. um and there were bands that were there were some weird bands that are pop that are popular or were like popular Primus, at that time. Mr. Yeah, Bungle. yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's stuff like there's, Primus and Mr. Bungle that, like, yeah, their first record had a lot of following followers and stuff. Same with Dance Gavin Dance's first record was was decently popular within a certain scene, but they just kept making records and cool records that were true to who they were, and the population just kept growing. And because Dance Gavin Dance never really strayed from who they were while constantly changing three vocalists, mm-hmm. you know, um, but they still kept an identity and never really like made a fast grab for cash or anything. And I think that paid off for them because their fan, because they never lost fans. They just gained fans. Um, and they also, uh, aside from that, the, the, the part that is weird that is why they're successful doesn't seem weird to me is that they put out what nine nine new albums in 10 years or something like that 2007 2009, 12 years they've put out nine God, albums that's prolific and good albums yeah. none of them are phoned in like they're all good albums like the band has over like 100 songs that they can wow. play so they've just been constantly putting out they they're kind of like a blend of the new and, and the old cuz the other thing that we all know now is that constant content is really important mm-hmm. and if any band has had constant new content it's that band i guess that makes perfect sense and those bands from the 90s like primus and bungle um first of all let it just also, be said they were on major Tilly labels a big part yeah they were how crazy is that but they were on major labels and also yeah those bands also they never really lost fans and to this day i don't think they really lost fans mm. and they kept putting out stuff that was different mm-hmm. some of them took longer breaks than others but but they were true to themselves yeah always even when stuff was different it was yep. it, it was still those bands and the, and the identity was there for sure which is actually kind of crazy if you consider how some bands can change their sound 15% and people are like, you lost yeah. your identity, you sold out. And then some bands can do like 180 style shift and people accept it because mm-hmm. it still feels like them. Yep. What do you think that is? Uh, I think it's the honesty behind it. And I okay. hate to say it because Fair I enough. think, I think, I do think, so I don't mean like honesty is in like honest lyrics and honest stuff like that. I think. The reason you have to change, I think the reason it works is that, and of course there's always exceptions to the rule, but a lot of times the reason it works is because it's really what the artist is feeling in their heart, like sound wise, like Mm -hmm. this is what we want to do and we believe in it. It's not like you can say, Hey, I want to, I want to go from being like a deathcore band and I want to write pop songs. Um, and you could, put out something that deathcore fans are like 
this is pretty fucking cool actually because I like the way this guy's brain works. I like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like I don't know if this has ever, ever actually happened or could really happen, but I, it's just an example of where like, if you like the way an artist's brain works, if they're doing something that's true to, to, to their own art, there's a good chance you're still going to like it. But yeah. what happens is that even sometimes people think they're being honest, artists think, think they're being honest, and they'll go, hey, we're tired of being poor. We want like a quote unquote radio hit. Uh, mm-hmm. We want something, you know, that, that benefits us financially. And when you start worrying too much about the financial stuff, like you can sit and write an honest song lyrically and melodically. But if, if you're motivated by money, a lot of times I think fans hear that, whether they know that's what they're hearing or not. I think they hear a little bit of like people being a little bit dishonest to themselves about what they want and or Absolutely. and or sometimes it just there's other things that man the, I think one of the biggest things I don't know if there's something else you want to say about that but what 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 I think of a lot of times when fans go oh that band sold out you know what happened to the one record I liked like why don't they sound like that anymore um and and you look at a band and you go oh yeah they just got poppy or oh they got this or that a lot of times it's not the label, it's not the producer, it's not the singer. A lot of times what happens is bands lose their main songwriter or yeah. one of the main influences that that was part of what people really liked and that changes and it changes the sound and and bands shift and that happens a lot where like I know that like all if you too look, well, yeah. Yeah, you, you look at certain bands and that happens, but then also they end up doing really well with this new guy that isn't part of the history of the band, mm-hmm. but is super talented and has and helps the band el- helps elevate the band in a different way to a different fan base in a different direction. It still works out for the band, but fans are sitting there and they just go, "Oh, the band sold out. We don't like this. Why they do that? It's dishonest." And to me, that's not dishonest. That's just life change, and that's stuff that. So I just don't want Absolutely. people to get me saying, you know, "Oh, we we totally changed," or. Uh, you know, fans are going to like it as long as people are being honest. There's other factors that factor into that, and a well, lot of times it's it's member changes and member dynamic changes, changes make a huge huge difference. Yeah. So you know, I used to I before I understood this. I mean, I, I was always loyal to like the lineups I liked when I was a kid of bands, and I always kind of felt like new lineups were like I wasn't watching the real band I loved. Yeah. Like. I thought it was cool, but not that cool. Yeah, and was the same for and sure. then for a while I was like, "Why should it matter?" Yeah, like I'm just being petty. But now I don't think I was being petty. I think I was actually on the right path because a certain lineup creates a certain sound that's based on the people yep. that are there at that point in time. Yep. And then what, like when you change those people, it's not that what comes after is necessarily bad. Sometimes it is, but not necessarily. No, and, some and sometimes ways it could it's get better. better. Yeah. yeah, yep. But it's not the same. And yep. same doesn't mean better or worse, it's just not the same. Yep. So I guess if you connected with something, then if something else is not the same, I guess it's just not the same. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree 100%. And I think I, I felt that way, and I used to, like when I was way younger, like when I was in my teens, I would, I would say things like, ah, I don't like this band anymore. Um, Or just feel like I lost allegiance to certain bands because of Mm -hmm. member changes and stuff. Um, And other bands not. Sometimes it isn't that big of a deal. Um, But 
uh, the thing I realized over time, like even in my early mid twenties is that I'm not even really like, especially now, um, being a little bit older, I don't consider myself a fan of bands as much as I'm a fan of albums. Mm -hmm. Um, and people are like, what's your favorite band? Or like, and it's really hard for me to pick any band ever that made 10, like ever, like that I could say every album they made was amazing. Um, you know, it's, they exist. There's, there's bands I feel that way about, but I think in reality, I'm a, I'm a fan of certain moments in time and mm-hmm. it was made, sure it was made by the band, but it was really more about a group of this certain group of people or even just a certain thing they were feeling or did at the time. Cause it doesn't even have to be member changes. Like yeah. you can like two records a band did back to back and nothing before and nothing after. I mean, I, I feel that way a lot about a lot of bands. Um, I mean, there's, and so that's, I can kind of consider myself more, more, more a fan. Yeah. And change producers yeah. or just like, or things change. Go, I mean, literally clean, like stop, it's stop like, doing drugs. You stop doing drugs or <laughs> yeah. like, I mean, Honestly, I just feel like or start doing drugs. Yeah, or start doing <laughs> drugs, or just like maybe it wasn't the band that I loved, and it was just this thing that happened a moment in time. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's the other. So the other thing that plays into that that I learned as a producer and someone who's around the music business for a long time. When I was younger, I never understood why. I noticed that I always liked bands like first or second record. And then, or whatever their first popular record was, was always the one I ended up liking the most. Mm -hmm. And at first, I remember thinking it was because it was the record I was like force fed first. And then, as I started working around artists and working in the music industry, I realized that I think a lot of times I liked the first record that got big because that record had so much time to be written and developed. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those songs on bands' first records are like little pieces and chunks of things that people thought of like their whole freaking life. Like that yeah. first album or the second or the first big album a lot of times is like all these little tidbits of ideas from like your whole freaking childhood and you'd put everything into that first album. And it, then you go on tour not, for two years and you never get a break and then they go make another album. And then you make another album and and a lot of bands succeed in yeah. it and do a good job. But I think I realized that I just was a fan of like that point in time and where those people were as human beings and what they did together and not, not always as much as like, um, you know, that I love that guy's guitar playing. So I'll listen to anything he does. It was more just like the, how everything came together. If you're like most producers, you're dialing in drum sounds the old fashioned way by trial and error, swapping out drums, heads, and mics until you finally find something that works, oftentimes for several exhausting and tedious days. Sounds familiar, right? And I guess I could be exaggerating by saying finding something that works. Sometimes you're just plinking around forever and never find anything that works. But you know what? It does not have to be painful. Ultimate Drum Production is our course that teaches you the scientific method for dialing in the perfect drum sound on the very first try. That's correct, the first try. It explains in extreme detail the sonic character of every single component of drum sound with exhaustive profiles of every kind of drum head, shell material, bearing edge and hoop, as well as ridiculously detailed tutorials on mic selection, placement, and room choice. 
And when you understand drum tone at such a fundamental, insanely deep level, it's like having a set of tone Legos that you can use to easily build the sound you hear in your head. You don't need to guess and check. You just assemble the building blocks however you want. To find out more and get access to this incredible course, head over to ultimatedrumproduction.com and we'll see you in class. I think it's a combination of what you just said, the uh, tidbits of all the best stuff put together over years, and then also a little bit of experience. So it's mm-hmm. usually not the first record. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's like the second or third, usually. I mean, sometimes it's the first record to come out on a label. Yeah. But it's generally not the first thing the band ever did. No, or as like people by themselves. Yeah, exactly. So it's And there's usually- a honeymooning period. That's happening there too. Exactly. A lot of times. So the band, it's like a combination of things. It's like the perfect cooking time for mm-hmm. all these ideas that it is. come perfect together. Perfect cooking time is the exact way to put it. Yeah. Plus experience yep. of the band to where they aren't green anymore, mm-hmm. and then they they still have that fire mm-hmm. inside that doesn't because success will sometimes. It's not that it kills your fire, but I think when you become successful, sometimes you lose your fire for the thing that made you successful because you conquered you it. Yep. You conquered mm-hmm. it, and you're ready to move on to something else. That mm-hmm. it's very natural. Mm-hmm. So I think they still have that original fire, like something to prove. Mm-hmm. Plus, what you said, all those years of putting those ideas together, and they're not green anymore. It's mm-hmm. just like the perfect storm. Yep. It's usually album two, three, or four, I've noticed. Yep. Usually not one. Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes. It depends. It depends on, I mean, I'm sure it depends on the situation, because I do like a lot of first albums for certain bands, but they were definitely bands where, you know, they're not like 17-year-olds. Mm-hmm. They're like 25-year-olds that were in other bands and yeah. had other failures and had experiences and somehow just ended up in the right place at the right time to make the good record. Even though it was like under that label, it was under that name of band, it was the first, um, the their technical first record. But you find out like, oh, this dude was in another band with a bass player for seven years. Oh, yeah. Or there's, like, there's a big um, band like that now. Have you heard of uh, Bad Wolves? I've heard of them. They're, I've them. They're... I mean, it's not like my style of stuff, but they're very, very good mm-hmm. at what they do. And I'm friends with a lot of them. I've known a lot of them for years. But like, drummer was in Devil Driver for 10 years. Guitar yeah. player was in God Forbid for 10 years. Um, their singer has been in lots of bands. Like, So these are all very, very seasoned guys yeah. who have made lots of records and been on lots of tours. And so they put this band together, and their first record has blown up. But, I mean, it's not really their first time making a record. It's like yeah. their seventh or yeah. or more. Yeah. Like, like, combined, they've made tons of records and successful records, too. Yeah. So it it's not really their first Yeah, exactly. Yep. Only under that name. Yep. Do you think that something you said was interesting, so... Sometimes you would lose your interest in a band based on a change. But earlier we were talking about Dance Gavin Dance becoming more successful even through changes. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think that's all about? I think there's a lot of, 
I think there's a lot of things. I mean, I think part of it is, uh, I mean, I'm sure part of it for the band is like the rejuvenation with the like, okay, new, new, new singer. Like we can write differently for how this person sings and like, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, Sometimes we can, that's it's, a it's a little, it's like a little bit of a reinvention. Sometimes it's a nightmare, but they've done a good job of like yeah. pairing themselves with the right people. And also, I think honestly, Tillian, like working with Tillian on his solo stuff and just like working with him in other bands, he is an amazing songwriter and musician on his own. So there, I think there's a mutual respect there mm-hmm. um, that. What, not not that any of the other singers. I mean, all that band singers are super talented, but uh, I think um, I think like their third singer Tillian was actually like the ultimate pairing um, mm-hmm. with that band, and and I think that uh, Tillian's Tillian joining the band has brought even more success for that band than I think they could even imagine that, that they wouldn't have with any other singer. Um, and I think they just kind of like leveled up in a way that was like bizarre and like um, just kind of uh, did made the right moves at the right time. And, um, and bringing Tillian in was awesome. And the other thing, and now they're on like one, two, three, four, like they've done four records with Tillian now. Um, and, I can say for sure, Will, like one of the main songwriters, the guitar player, and Tillian are two guys that just can't stop writing music. Like they write so much music because they're just like they emit musical ideas, and so they it just doesn't stop. So basically, yeah, and so they like it's it's really good because and I all the other dudes are totally immersed in music as well. Like like uh, you know they all play music for a living and they're all in other bands and like just play music nonstop. But, uh, but I think one of the, one of the biggest things is will, will and Tillian being like song machines in a positive way that mm-hmm. they just like have never ending awesome ideas. Um, that keeps, that just keeps good songs coming. Um, you know, I, I've met very few people like either of them. And the fact that the two of them are in a band together, uh, just, is, is bananas and why they can write songs so quick. I read, sometimes you'll see like, uh, you know, new dance Gavin dance single. And then like before it's even out, half the Twitter comments are like, you just put out an album. Don't make this one shitty. Don't just shit out another album. And then it's like, have we ever done that? Yeah, exactly. And it's like, they make an album every year. Like (laughs) they never just shit out an album. Like you liked the last album, which was number seven. Like, Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it's it's funny how that is, and then they never do. They never put anything out subpar. Like it's always, it's always awesome. But uh, but it's cool and it's unique. They're they're definitely outliers. So that reminds me of the like you said before, the modern version of like Primus, Mister Bungle type bands. Yeah, even like Tool maybe. But you Tool's, know, Tool is more comparable to me. Uh, yeah, one of those bands because they're not as weird as as Primus or Mr. Bungle. No, Mr. Bungle but, and Primus but, are fucking weird. But, but but they are like cult following like yeah, those two bands. That's for what sure. I mean. Yeah. No, I mean Dance Gavin Dance is pretty weird, but not yeah. like as not like they Mr. Bungle is super vulgar and like fucked up. Like yeah, the, I know. some of those lyrics Bungle, on that yeah. first album are like yeah. holy shit. Yeah, it's. It, it's next level. It's wild, Still, for sure. Yeah, they're not like that, but 
I still count them in like the non non normal music that got big somehow. Yeah. But yeah, the totally. thing is on the tool thing and on the topic of new versus old. So tool notoriously has taken forever between records. True. Apparently so there's, there's another one. Comp. Apparently there's another one coming. The nine, I, nine years later. Yeah. Or, or, or no, was ten thousand days the last record? No, yeah, two thousand five or six. Yeah, so longer. Um, but that one also took a long time between that one and the one before. Wireless. Yeah, yeah, right. And Inema was like ninety-seven. But people were okay with that. Um, yeah. I wonder if a band now that has the cult following, if Dance Gavin Dance was like, we're taking a break for five years. Yeah. Or six years or something. Would the would their crowd still care in five or six years, like the Tool crowd would? I think they would. I feel like they would, just because um, with the Tool thing, people just want more, mm-hmm. um, and with Dance Gavin Dance, people still want more. You know, um, and even though they're expecting it quickly, um, I think they're the rare kind of band that would really would like have just as big of an album if they waited five years. Um, I could be way wrong. I mean, the, the market seems is like, so different now. Like honestly, right. I'm, not even, I'm not even sure how big, like, I'll be curious to see how big this Tool record is. Like, that, we talk about too. it, like, because I remember how big Tool was, but I'll, I'm just curious to see how it charts, how, how, how their sales actually do. I wonder if nobody's going to care. But, I mean, not not nobody. I don't yeah. mean nobody, but nobody yeah. compared to... Yeah, the previous biggest band in the world status. Yeah, like will they still be biggest band in the world status? Yeah, I don't know. I don't either. I'm actually very curious about it because I, I think about this new versus old stuff a lot, and I and I've always kind of th- felt like the old bands are immune from it to a degree. Mm-hmm. Like if they got to a certain level. Uh, before the industry changed, they yeah. could kind of coast, like not coast, but they'll be all right. Like Dream Theater, for instance. Yeah, I'm never a fan of theirs, but I've always paid attention to them. They were they've just gotten bigger and bigger. Yeah, and bigger. A very loyal following. Yeah, exactly. And but it's also because they were big before the shift. Yeah, and so they've been insulated from it. Um, but I wonder if a band that got big before the shift took. 13 years off if people would still care. But they got big after the shift? No, they got big before oh. the shift. But like big. Oh, I see, like, I see yeah, what you're like saying. Like a band yeah, that's, you, that was so like. Tool, like yeah, the Tool thing. Yeah, yeah. like biggest yeah, band I, in the world I, status. I have, I have no idea. We're about to find out. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Might be another five years. I don't 20 years no later. Yeah. I think. I, I want to know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it'll be interesting too because there's also like. Their fan base, and same with Dream Theater and a, and a lot of bands from that era, buying the album was kind of a ritual. So mm-hmm. I feel like it could go either way. Like Tool could have these like crazy sales that you're like, what the hell? They sold like they sold more physical copies than anyone this year, sort of thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, because all their fans are from that era where like buying physical copies was a ritual, and you know you, I think. Tool putting out an album could spark some nostalgia and some like need to to feel that feeling again in a lot of people. Um, so I could see that happening. I could also see them having just like 
abysmal sales because abysmal uh, for them, for them, for them. Yeah, yeah. Not, not for normal people. Like it's not, they're not going to sell like a thousand records first week. No, <laughs> it's but, not going to be like, no, that. but what if but it's 20,000, which I would could be, see that. which would be amazing for most bands, but for tool, I could see that. That's yeah, the I thing. I just, I have no idea. I have no idea. I um, wouldn't be surprised if they opened at 20 or something like even 50. I wouldn't mm-hmm. be surprised Something that's like low for a band of that size. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised, but I also wouldn't be surprised if what you said happened, like old school style sales. Yeah, there was just somewhere. Yeah, and it's not gonna. I, it would never be the same as it was. But for the current 500, market, five hundred thousand. Yeah, week. no, that's not gonna happen. <laughs> but for the market, like I could see them like just having uh, like. A blip in the chart that goes way mm-hmm. up of like physical album sales, and you're like, "What the hell is that?" Oh, Tool released their first album in 12 years, and yeah, all these old, you know, all these 90s kids went and bought CDs. Also, a lot of it'll have to do with the marketing because I could also see Tool pulling um, the like, "Oh, hey, our album's out." Yeah, zero marketing. No, no physical it came copy, out today. copies, or yeah, or it came out today, or something. And then, the, then, then that would obviously affect the numbers. And I have no idea. You know the um, the, the no marketing thing. I have encountered quite a few old timers who w- have tried doing that, and it's failed so hard. And they think they're being smart. I've encountered a few actually in the past couple years who are like in big bands from the 90s yeah who are like we're gonna do something real cool we're not gonna market this until it, the day it comes out yeah and then it's just gonna be like bam and everyone's gonna be like whoa but nobody there's no bam yeah there's no bam there's no whoa there's no bam it's hard to bam with <laughs> yeah. algorithms like social media algorithms the way they are um even yeah. if you sponsor stuff like it, you can't just like bam it's not like no. when there was a tv <laughs> so like no bam no whoa <laughs> uh when the Mars Volta, De Laos, and the Comitorium came out, they kind of did something like that. There wasn't a ton of marketing, and then they just went crazy on TV marketing like two or three days before mm-hmm. the record was released. And when the main form of marketing was TV marketing, that worked because everyone was watching the same two, three channels. When was this? 2002. Oh, well, yeah. Three or something. Uh, but but it was a but it wasn't like because a lot of times there was like a poster up in the record store a month mm-hmm. before with the date and stuff and I wasn't I didn't see a lot of that it was just kind of out of nowhere I always think of that record as really coming out of nowhere. Um, but you but could do that back then. You could do that because you weren't fighting algorithms or paying for sponsors mm-hmm. that you have no you know that aren't really always going where you think it's going, um, and that stuff does work, but. If you don't have a marketing team and a real marketing plan, a you really, don't even have a shot. Like yeah, it's not really even going to work, even if you do. Team. But yeah, even if you do, and honestly, if you had a really smart marketing team, they'd probably be like, "Yeah, don't do that." <laughs> <laughs> like uh, uh, certain artists, sure, it's cool, but um, one of the smartest marketing yeah. things I've seen in a long time. I actually showed this to Finn. Mm-hmm. He made a video about it. Was uh, Behemoth did this? Behemoth are amazing. Their marketing, they're just so damn good at it. I don't know how familiar you are or not with them. Not super familiar. They're one of those bands that, like, if you're not familiar with that style, then it just seems like another one of those yeah. bands. But they're one of those bands that makes a lot of money and, like, uh, 
they fucking kill it. They yeah. crush it. They do real well. They do better than the other bands in that style by a long shot. It's because the main dude is so smart, unbelievably smart. Like he should be a politician, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the most charismatic, intelligent, just on it people I've ever met in my life, which is how they get tours with bands that are not in their style, yeah, not satanic, not like any of that. But what they did was it was it was kind of fucked up, but it was so smart. They put up this website where you're supposed to read this satanic prayer. Uh, if you want to hear the song, you have to. They it you have it shows you this satanic prayer that that's yeah part of the lyrics to the song, mm-hmm. but you have to say it and it records you saying it, and not until you say what it tells you to say does it show you the song. So you learn the lyrics to the song before you even hear the song. Yeah, which then obviously that makes it easy to put it on shirts, to make tattoos out of it, to yep. like get it chanted at shows. Yep. It's so smart. It was like the chorus of the song. Yep. But like, yeah, they put it in this like chant, like And it gives you something unique to talk about. Yeah, exactly. Like everyone's like, you know what these guys did? Yeah. Super weird. But and <laughs> they but, made everyone say a satanic prayer. Like But it's so smart. Yeah, it no, got it's great. Total compliance out of their fans. So like there's that psychological element of like you're doing what we tell you to do. Um, so we're in control here. You're learning our lyrics, so boom, we can yeah. market this shit to you, and here's your reward. You get to hear our song, yeah. which is crazy because sometimes, you know, debuting a new song, no one really cares. Yeah. So, like, they did all this, like, they made people jump through hoops in order to just hear the song. Anyhow, I thought it was super brilliant. Whenever I see bands doing stuff like that, that are bands that people care about. I yeah. was like, hell yeah, they get it. Yeah, that's they get super it. cool. Yep. Sometimes you see local bands do it and it doesn't work because nobody cares. Yeah. And it's like, wah, wah, wah. But, yeah. um, but when, a, when it's a band that somebody cares about. Yeah, you have to know your yeah. audience. I mean, that's part of marketing. Like, yeah. There's ways that you can market for a virtually unknown band to become a known band. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it happens it, it happens every year. I mean, there's there's those bands that that do that, and and certain marketing teams or labels know how to make that happen. But you have to know your audience, mm-hmm. and that's that's basically what you're saying is like you don't know your yeah. audience, and you you've got like five people coming through your page, and you try to do like a surprise campaign or yeah. or something. You know, it's like everyone's yeah. like, oh, I thought you broke up. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But there's this band that's known for being like this satanic band, and mm-hmm. like has this vibe about them and people feel like they're legit and really, really dark and all those things, all that imagery is who they are. Yeah. And so that marketing campaign is just, it was creepy and it fit perfectly. It was totally congruent with their image. Like it was just marketing, but it was so congruent with their image that it didn't feel like marketing. Yeah. That's why I showed it to Finn because we do marketing and so we're like, wow. That's good. It's good when it doesn't feel like marketing. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, that's super cool. So Tool, I think, if they wanted to just come out with a BAM, they'd have to do something like that appropriate for them. Yeah. Which they have that kind of mystery to them too, so Mm -hmm. they could easily do it if they had the right brain. And they've always had a visual component. Every Mm -hmm. one of their records, um, everything, music videos, everything they've ever released, even their live show has 
heavily revolved around some kind of visual component. So I have a hard time believing that they would just, like now that I think about it, I can't imagine them just like dropping something. Like there's going to be some kind of like hint or like something leading up to it that gets people interested because they've always had some, because like you remember Inema had the like 3D, uh, the CD mm-hmm. cover was like the 3D thing that you move it and it changes what it's doing. Yeah, that was cool. Which was the first time anyone did anything like that. And uh, Lateralis just had all the interesting like anatomical drawings and stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what you would call, call that type mm-hmm. of artwork, but just super interesting stuff. So they've always had a visual component. So I have a hard time believing they would just be like, "Here's the music." Like they're a they're a very like thought see. out um, art, artistic band. What about Who knows? what about the new issues? How's that? It's good. It's different. I don't even know how to explain it. The, I figured the, it would be a little different. Yeah, it's it's way different, but it's still very true to the band. Is um, it still Justin Timberlake meets metal? Yes. It's groovier than any of their other records. Awesome. Um, man, I thought of, a, I wish I could remember, I thought of a good way to describe it at one point because I think a lot of people are expecting it to be super pop or like super prog, but it's not. I'm just excited for people to hear it because it's freaking awesome. It's amazing songs, and it's a style of music that I don't think really exists yet. Um, it's it's really cool. He's saying that even it's, it's even like, after they already invented something, yeah, it's de- they've they've definitely. Um, I mean, it's still issues. Like if you heard it and didn't know who it was, you're not going to be like, "Who's this?" I mean, it's definitely it's definitely issues, but. Um, but it's really cool. It's very groove oriented. It's 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 rad. I remember a few years before they came out, I was talking to somebody and I remember telling them that I really felt like someone has to come along and do legitimate pop with breakdowns and stuff. Yeah. It's such an obvious pairing. Yeah. Cuz like around that time before them dubstep was big and dubstep like the best of dubstep, not the stuff that like gets made fun of, but the best yeah. of it was basically heavy music yeah. in electronic form. And it was like, well, if that can happen, you can almost hear how pop could blend with heavy music too. Yep. Someone is going to come around eventually. And then issues came around. I was like, that's yep. the band. They did it. Well, and people were Finally. doing the whole like, it was like the equivalent of the 90s, like clean guitar Distorted guitar, mm-hmm. clean guitar, distorted guitar. People were doing like the bridge is a pop part or like the verse is a pop part and then it's a rock chorus or it's a breakdown chorus. But Issues actually like just made whole songs that were like a pop song and a heavy song playing at the same yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's how they changed it. And that's that was like the next step for that type of music. Yeah, it's totally um, melded together. It wasn't yeah, instead it, of just on and off. Yeah, and I always felt, for the most part, that the on and off bands. I mean, there's some great ones. Yeah, but when they'd go pop, they wouldn't really go pop. Mm-hmm. They'd go like half pop or something. Yeah, like I felt like Issues was fucking pop. Well, as and hell. Tyler, I mean, Tyler's a he just has like a pop style. Yeah, so it 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 lends them to to doing that and not just. Um, not just being like a rock guy singing over a pop song. Yeah, sort of it's thing. legit. And yeah. It's very sophisticated. Yeah, it's good. Tyler's really, really good. I mean, everybody in that band is so ridiculously talented. They're 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 a very talented band. Um, are those yeah, your, but the, the new records very cool. 
Are those your favorite types of bands to work with? Those like genre bender, like prolific. I know Issues took a break for a while, but I know that like Tyler has been making music the which whole time. Tyler? Oh, which Tyler? Ty, Ty or Tyler, the singer? Sorry, or the DJ. Did I, the DJ. Yeah. Uh, um, he is he, is he he's not? yeah he has his own stuff he's involved in the new record okay, okay. Um, I think he's already announced that on Twitter he's on I, I don't I mean I wasn't I involved he, in the production I so I don't know it. how many songs but uh, but but he he is involved for sure yeah um, and he's prolific as fuck yeah they all are well you know his twin brother is the bass player I um, did not know that yeah and he is. Man, also some, some families, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, and their sister's an awesome singer. There, there's another. She, they've done some music like all together. That's Man, really good. What is it with um, some families, like the Churcos too? Like what? Yeah, I don't know. It's but, just in your blood. Yeah, I think about. I think about that a lot. I think about like you know, obviously it's environment, but there just has to be something like there's another Churco. Loves music. There's, there's another. another there's a Kevin's brother is yeah. the guitar player for Shania Twain. Oh, like, wicked. Yeah, he's like That's awesome. He's like a successful uh session guitar player yeah. in like country pop. That's rad. Um yeah, and there and I believe that Kane's sister manages the business. Nice. So like they're all in on it. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Yeah, quite the power family. Yeah. Sometimes it's, that happens. Yeah, it's super cool. Kind of crazy. I always wondered how it ha- how it happens. Like nature or nurture or just like the perfect combination of both. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, it's yeah, you'd, it's it, it's tough, especially as someone who has small children. <laughs> I, I do think about it all the time, and uh, you know what decisions you make affect how they're going to be. You know, because obviously all your decisions affect them in some way or another. It might Absolutely. not be a major effect, but it, it will affect them. Um, and it's a weird thing to think about when you're in a business that consumes so much of your time. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you still have kids that grow up to do like the same with musicians and touring musicians and stuff. It's interesting that they still look to their parents and and say, you know, yeah. I, I want to be a part of that. I want to do that. That's um, what my because dad it's did. not because it's yeah because it's not like you're necessarily like around all the time showing them this stuff. Um, no, my dad was gone yeah. all the time, always gone. Like, yeah. Three weeks a month, most months. So, yeah, no, you're right. It's 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 interesting. Do you like how old are your kids? Uh, one and a half and three and a half. Oh, so still a little too young to really. Yeah, they're not gonna. My yeah. son, my son has kind of grown. Well, my daughter's been singing since she was like ten, nine months. It's like the weirdest thing. Before she could talk or anything, she would sing the the melodies on the cartoons, but like on her own, like, like she, she was singing the Paw Patrol theme at like eight or nine months. And it was weird. It was super weird. Cause our son didn't talk until he was like two and she sings like anything she hears, she'll just start singing it. Like she has the music in her. And that's what's a trip to me is like, wow, it's just, you don't know what. And then my son has recently become very interested in guitars uh, he'll come out here whenever he can. Like if I don't lock the door, he'll just bust in. And uh, like a month ago, when it kind of started, two months ago, I was out here and uh, he came in and I was just working alone. And I turned around and he's reaching for like a 1972 Les Paul. And I'm just like, you know, the easiest guitar to break on the freaking planet. Uh, yeah. And I would just literally dove across the room and was like, stop, <laughs> no, any other guitar, bolt on. 
any bolt-on guitar <laughs> you can mess around with, you're not going to break it. But uh, but he's like he loves just like setting the guitar on the ground. He'll grab a guitar pick, which also also he calls a toothpick, which I confused me for a while. And he's like, "Daddy, can I have a toothpick?" And I'm like, <laughs> "A sharp stick? No, you can't have a toothpick." And he's like, "Why well, need a toothpick?" And I'm like. I don't know what you're talking about. And then he'd find a guitar pick and be like a toothpick. And oh, there you go. Start playing. I'm like, oh, you want a guitar pick? Man. But yeah, he loves playing the guitar on the ground. And so I don't, you know, you just, you don't know what, how much that is about music or just that it's a weird thing or I don't know. But sounds like, but my whole family has like been musicians like for years. So like for generations. So it's like one of those things. Um, like my dad has a guitar that was my great, uh, my great grandpa's guitar. Like we just always played music, and so I don't know what's in your blood. What's like? I'd be curious to know if your daughter's got perfect pitch. It's probably yeah, too early but, to tell. Yeah, but I'd be curious to know I mean, if she's already picking songs out. Yeah, and, That's crazy. and they're obvious. That's what's weird. That's what's a trip. Is it's not like she's just like humming, and it's, she wasn't singing the lyrics. I mean, you know, she's singing Paw Patrol, and it sounded like Papa Da, mm-hmm. but. Uh, but it was very clearly the melody, and longer, like longer parts of it than you would expect. Mm-hmm. Um, like she would literally sing the whole, like a whole section of a song, and it just like sitting there with you can't see my face right now, but just like being like, this is crazy that you're singing like the hook and then going into the verse, and you're like barely crawling. That's kind of amazing. Um, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I don't know. Um, you know, all kids are different, and I know other kids that. Yeah, I mean, it's not a podcast about kids. No, it's not. About it's not. But I've but that stuff. But it'll it, be interesting. It's not a podcast about kids, but I have talked to lots of parents on the podcast. Like, actually, talked to Kevin about Kane. Yeah, and about this stuff, and definitely this topic comes up when when it's relevant, just because I'm fascinated by it, just for my own personal reasons. Yeah. Because I went into music probably because of my dad. Yeah. So it's just interesting to me. Um, so I've always wondered, what's nature, what's nurture? Like, yeah. Is, did Kane just pop out talented, or is it because he was in the bunker with Mutt Lang and his dad? Yeah. Or both? Yeah. Probably both. Yeah, probably both. Probably, more than likely both. Yeah. But I've always just been curious about how much is genetic, um, is talent genetic at all, um, yeah. and how much is uh, what you put into it. Because, I mean, I've known lots of talented people who didn't put in any work and mm-hmm. they kind of sucked. Yeah. In the end. Yeah. In the end, they could only get so far. Yeah. Um, but that innate part of it, um, I think the talent is the innate part. Yeah. Um, I wonder, I've always wondered if that comes from something genetic. And then also, you may, you meet people who are the first in their bloodline to be yep. a musical prodigy. So where does yeah, that come you from? People that are like, yeah, my dad was a, was a doctor and I'm a freaking shredder guitar player. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. And speaking of Les Paul's being breakable. <laughs> God. <laughs> so when I was 13, um, my first electric guitar was a Squire. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had my 
my heart set on a Les Paul studio. Yeah. Because it was what I figured I could afford at 13 after working an entire summer. Yeah. And I got it after working an entire summer. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was such a big deal. And the first day I had it, I took it to a friend's house, and we fucked around with it, played it, and then I leaned it up against the wall. Oh, no. And it slipped. Yeah. And the neck just popped right off. Day one. Yeah. Day one. That's awful, man. (laughs) Dude, it's so—I've seen some Les Pauls go down. Dude, it just came clean off. Just like— Yeah. It barely barely tapped the— They're basically built. Like if— you know anything about physics? They're built to break when they fall. Like they're they're literally like the way the headstock is shaped and the weight of the body combined with a super thin neck. It's like literally just built to. Yeah, it to didn't like, fall hard. Yeah, yeah, but the body's so heavy that it like the the neck is like a lever that just slams yeah. down, and then the headstock bears so little weight because it's angled so hard. Um, <laughs> they're like every time I look at one, I'm just like. It's beautiful, but it was just built to be to break. Like it was tragic. Um, no give, you know. No give from the neck being a bolt on. Like fenders are the other way around. It's like I don't think I've ever seen a fender where the headstock broke. I've seen the necks break. Oh no! Someone this, like this physically neck, broke one. This neck came clean off the body. Oh, the neck on the came Les off. Paul. Yeah. Oh my! It wasn't the head. It wasn't no, the, it wasn't the headstock. headstock. It was oh. the fucking neck. Well, that's a different. Right off the that's body. A, Feel like you should have gotten your money back on that. Yeah, <laughs> sounds like a <laughs> guitar that was built wrong. Um, I, and to your point, I actually years later tried to break the Squire. Like yeah. after I had a few more guitars yeah. and was like never going to play this guitar yeah. again. And the next, I like Nirvana. Off. Yeah, I want right? to know what yep. it's like to yep. break a guitar. <laughs> I couldn't break it. I yeah. tried. I tried. Like I slammed it into concrete. Like yeah, I tried. We jumped up and down on the neck. Yeah. It wouldn't break. And even if they do, the only thing that ever happens is the bolts just strip out of the neck. Maybe that plate. happened. Yeah. Like, it did, I but, sold, but, but I that's sold hard that to guitar. do too. That's hard to do too. But like, it's not like the wood is going to break anywhere. It didn't. But yeah. It I couldn't believe ever. it. it. It took a fucking beating. I had an old K guitar that I broke one time on stage. It's fun. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> But I don't think I'd ever do it again. But yeah, it was a good time. On, and by on stage, I mean a garage with like thirty kids in it. It's not still, still not, stage. not actually on stage. Do bands still do that? Uh, I think I feel like a lot of bands look at that as uh, wasteful. Well, and it or is. a lot of fans. It is. I know. It's funny because like it's. I stupid. remember <laughs> being a kid and thinking it was like so rock and like yeah. badass and emotional. And now people are like. Get control of your feelings. Like, don't <laughs> don't break something just because you're angry. Like, it, is it? But back then, it, you know, it was like I don't know. It was just different. So it, it's interesting to see how like younger people's view of music and musicians and just like life in general is is very different. I remember seeing Bungle destroy all their shit once. It was amazing. Like diving into the drums and just like. Destroying yeah. them, destroying every instrument on stage, yeah. and I was just like, "This is amazing! This yeah. is the coolest thing I've ever seen." I saw Nirvana do it too, and I was like, "Wow, yeah, I want to do that." Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't think that's very cool anymore. It's not, it's not cool at all. <laughs> it is totally um, a '90s kid thing. Yeah, big time. I know, and it's funny to like if I look at it through someone else's lens, it's goofy. Like there's it, still it, a place in my heart for it for it's sure, immature but it's like, as yeah, fuck. It's, it's hilarious. It's it's 
It's real dumb. It, it's immature. It's stupid. It's wasteful. Yeah. Financially irresponsible. Like, yeah. and it probably means that you've got some issues you really need to deal with because yeah. if they come out in like your normal life, yeah, like against another person or against yeah. like your normal personal property, like could cause some real problems. Yep. But why was it okay for bands to do, do it? Do it on stage? Yeah, I don't know. It's fucking awesome back then. Yeah, it was great. It, I think it's because there was uh, an element to rock and metal and stuff that was unhinged and that was maybe glorified or yeah, maybe not glorified, but it was celebrated. That yeah. un, that unhinged like oh, real yeah. element, like real shit by real people. Yep, like to the point where they will fucking burn down everything yeah. right then and there. Yeah, where I'm not sure that now being unhinged. Is very cool. No. And there's like a, I think a lot of, I don't know very many bands that go up on stage with like $100 guitars either. You know what I mean? True. Like there's definitely a thing about having the nicest stuff, which as an engineer and a producer, I love it. <laughs> That's I'm, very cause true. Because it, it makes my life way easier. But like, you know, Kurt was up there with like $50 Univoxes that were uh, like ripoffs of an already cheap guitar. Um, that he was breaking and stuff, or like at the near the end, he was getting free squires from Fender and stuff. But so like, he wasn't breaking a $3,500 Mayonis yeah, guitar yeah, yeah, and a Bogner. He wasn't like breaking PRSs yeah. And, yeah, and putting it, put in, you know, I mean, if anyone is guilty, it's Jimi Hendrix for breaking those like <laughs> super rare Marshalls and, uh, you know, Were Celestians they super or whatever. Back then? No, no, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm joking mm-hmm. about it now because, because in, in retrospect, you know, He's breaking like tens and thousands of dollars worth of stuff every time he broke stuff. <laughs> you know, a fifty strat, yeah, uh, a sixty strat, all that stuff. I'm sure we'll look back on. No, we'll never look back on a Univox and be like, oh, I don't for th- so much money. I don't but, think so. But uh, I would love to. I would love someone to like jokingly tally how like the current worth of everything that Jimi Hendrix destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> Probably uh, plan a retirement based oh, on it. <laughs> yeah, man, buy a castle that that. Uh, that stuff's worth a lot of money now. Um, so I don't miss that element, by the way. Um, I feel like I, I don't look at the past and wish it was still here. Like no, but, no, not at all. So when I when I think to like rock in the '90s and how unhinged it was, and there are lots of things that were really terrible, um, like pro, like heroin being made cool, yeah, and stuff, yeah, like things like that, yeah. I don't. Right now, I think Xanax and pills are kind of made cool, but not really. There's a lot of, there's a lot out there um, in the media and online about to counter how, it. To counter it, yeah. yeah there's where a there huge wasn't, movement. Yeah, there wasn't yeah, so much. When, no, other than like you know Nancy Reagan, but like who gave it, a fuck yeah, about yeah, yeah, but exactly. Like there was nothing that that like reached out to the kids that was like a counterpoint that wasn't like the man, like Dare or yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, Tipper Gore or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it, it's all. Uh, you can have rappers rapping about Xanax, but you also have a lot of people talking about, well, yeah, you're going to die, too, if you mix that with alcohol. Yep. And they make a big deal out of any time a celebrity the, dies sad, from it. Yeah, exactly. And sadly, the rappers are dying from it. Yeah, um, that's what happens. Awful. Yep. But I feel like in the 90s, when they were making a big deal out of heroin with Allison Chains just talking about it openly like yeah I don't know if you ever saw this ministry uh tour video 
that they made yeah. this documentary on tour where they were just openly shooting up on it. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I saw it like a year ago, and they're like just sitting there backstage shooting up on video like nothing. Mm-hmm. Like no big deal. That would not fly now. No. So I think in some ways, like when people talk about how like rock's gone unsafe, I do agree because I think back to that and it's like, yeah, that was way more unhinged. Yeah. But I don't miss it. I don't necessarily think that that no. was cool. No and, one needs to redo that. Yeah, no. It's, uh, I mean, it was just a place in time. And I think that yeah. goes back to like what I was saying earlier about like I'm more of a fan of albums than I am of a, mm-hmm. of a like band necessarily, even though I'm a, I'm a fan of the band that made the album. But like I see myself as like, like, thinking more about the albums I love than specifically the bands I love. And it has to do with that of like certain things happening at certain times and the same with genres of music. Like Mm -hmm. there's genres of music and people will complain that, Oh, you know, this genre died. Like I miss, I miss this genre, but it's like, do you really want people to just like run it on forever? And you know, it's like a show. It's like like, like, it's like a TV show that just goes on and on and on. And you're like, they should have ended it at season five. Like, yeah, please stop. Um, So, I don't. I, n- I never. I never really find myself missing stuff like that. Um, Whenever I hear that about bands okay that are still on. going, that were like maybe great at one point and then just kind of leveled off, and yeah, people are people give them shit, and it's like, well, dude, they're not going to be between the ages of twenty and yeah. thirty three forever. Yeah, and what do you expect? Yeah, like they're forty five now. They, they're. They could probably start a company and fucking kill it and yeah. do great and still have just as much fire. But like that kind of rage that goes into making that kind of music, like it's age yeah. appropriate. And and more power to the band if they are still enjoying what they're doing and yeah. like still making songs that they love. Like that's awesome. I'm definitely not saying the band should just like call it at some point. Like, I don't I think, think it's, yeah, anyone I think gets it's, to tell a band to call yeah, it. Yeah, no, I think it's yeah. I think it's freaking great that the bands do that, and some maintain success. Some have like weird success after disappearing for a long time. Um, There's happens. a band called Cynic that did that. I don't know if you're familiar with them. They were one of the first uh, prog uh, death metal bands. They were around in the early '90s, and at the time, they would get they would tour with like Cannibal Corpse and stuff, but mm. they didn't sound at all like that. They sounded like one of those bands you hear now with like vocoders and like yeah. jazz arrangements and shit. And they'd get booed off stage and get shit thrown at them. And like yeah. they lived in Florida and they moved to LA and just quit and just like went into the legit music industry and worked in like post houses and mm-hmm. became like a session player. And they just had such a bad experience. And then like 2009, they reunited and were way bigger than they ever were in yeah. the 90s because I guess the public had caught up. Yeah. Prog metal was suddenly cool. Yeah. So, yeah, like almost 20 years later, yep. they, found a, they found a place in the public's heart, yeah. which is kind of cool. But I don't think anyone, really, I don't think anyone has the right to tell a band to stop. But at the same time, I get it. Some bands are past the expiration date of their best material. Like yeah. it's not going to come back probably, yeah. but that's okay cuz yep. be happy you got what you got out yeah. of them. An artist, every artist has a, you know, there's like a bell curve to to or an arc I guess to yeah. their output and there's always going to be 
that peak where they're at their best. Yep. Like everything's happening. Mm-hmm. It's different for everybody. Some movie directors that could be in their fifties. Yeah. But or symphony conductors, it's usually in their sixties and seventies. Yeah. But rock musicians, it's like twenty-five to thirty-eight. I mm-hmm. think is like that peak. Yep. And then after that, you're lucky if you get more great shit. But yep. What do you expect? Yep. Uh, I agree one hundred percent. Awesome. It's. Uh, I'm glad. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. No. No. It's. It just. Uh, <laughs> I, I think agreeing. about that stuff all the time, and there's always like I could talk about it forever because there's always like people that have really interesting and bizarre career arcs. Like I think about like Tom Petty has one of the most interesting and bizarrely long. Mm-hmm. So he's one of the only people that comes to mind that had a greatest hits album with like fifteen tracks or something. Um, and then had three albums that had like Billboard chart topping singles after his greatest hits album. That's weird. Yeah, That's super weird. weird. It's not like they put out a greatest hits album because the first album had a bunch of hits. Like it's like if Third Eye Blind put out a greatest hits album, like six of those songs would just be off the first album. You yeah. know what I mean? And then sure, there's other stuff, but he had like ten albums, had a bunch of hits on all those albums, put out a greatest hits, and then had a bunch more hits. It's like super weird and had hits into his fifties. Um, Total outlier. that are really good too. Yeah, like such a bizarre out, outlier of a career. Um, like even Michael Jackson didn't have a career like that. He probably had a greatest hits and then put out other stuff, but he was you know popular since he was like six or something or eight. But Paul McCartney um, did a little bit. Yeah, he would have yeah. in in his different like yeah, yeah obviously like Beatles greatest hits and then he has like hits with Wings and yeah, all kinds of die yeah and all kinds of oh yeah solo album stuff and um but geniuses are outliers yeah so. yeah totally um I guess what makes the Tom Petty thing interesting to me is it's like just him and his band you know what I mean there was never mm-hmm. like a change that signified like the next chapter or new stuff it was just like they just kept doing their thing and people just kept liking it. Um, do you, I don't know much about him, but what I wonder is, does did he fit that rock star mold of like some kid that's on fire uh, and has this fire they want to express or was he yeah. more like a professional musician? No, he was a fire you want to express. There's like a famous story about him negotiating his first real record deal with Capital. He was on a bad record deal, but he went in as like a 19-year-old kid and when they started trying to talk him down and he wanted different terms, he brought out a pocket knife and started <laughs> carving the table in front of the label because he's this country <laughs> kid from fucking Florida somewhere, you know, uh, that didn't give a fuck and was just like, I want what I want. And I'm going to sit awesome. here Good and, for him. And, and whittle a hole in your table with my pocket knife until you give me what I want. I heard that Sean Connery um, was that way. Um, he was, I was actually watching something about him last night. As I was falling asleep, um, he was the first actor to get payment to come to him and not to his manager or agent. Oh, interesting. So it used to be that they would go to the agent and then the agent would pay the the talent. Yeah. So it would be funny business with that, obviously. Yeah. That still happens in the music industry with booking agents where the booking agent collects the deposits and gets paid. A lot of the time, and then we'll pay you. Sometimes you col- it just depends. Sometimes you do collect your um, your shit uh, at the venue. It just depends. But there yeah. are cases where a lot certain shows, like X number of shows, 
get um, the money gets forwarded to the agent, and then mm-hmm. the agent will then decide when to pay you. Yeah, and some pay right away, and some yeah make you jump through hoops. But anyway, Sean Connery was like a brawler, war hero, just like kind of a he was from like a poor neighborhood in Scotland. He was yeah. not like a, a refined like actor kind of dude. Yeah. Um, and when they tried to play games with him, he just wouldn't take it, and uh, he got brutal with them, and he changed that to where then he started getting paid, then he would pay his team. Yeah. Which is kind of awesome. Yeah. So some people... That's the way it should have been. I agree. Well, it takes people like that to... uh, Yeah. People who give no fucks. Yeah. So Tom Petty is one of those weirdos that just it never died for him. Yep, I think he just always loved it, and yeah, I don't know. Went through drug phases. He does have one really bad album that was like the peak of his cocaine use. Well, bad I, in my opinion. I think it still had one single on it, but uh, so in yeah, his case, the drugs made him worse. Yeah, well, probably made it better, and then <laughs> the, at the peak of it, <laughs> I'm sure there was a loss of control at some point. Um, See that that's so. What's interesting to me about that is just that those the arcs. I mean, that happens to a lot of bands. They just don't come back from it. Yeah, they they take the drugs too far, and then that's it. That's it. They burnt. They burned it out. Mm-hmm. Um, the beginning of the drug use. I mean, I remember when I experimented. It was mind expanding at first. Yeah. Then you could see where, like in Berkeley days. And you could see the kids that would just keep going with it mm-hmm. would just like destroy themselves. Yep. So I learned, but I feel like some people just don't learn. Um, however, the thing that I think is interesting about the Tom Petty thing is that you can't like expect the same arc out of every artist. Like some people, yeah. no, their bizarre, greatness yeah. is going to be concentrated in a three year period. Yep. And that's it. And some it's going to be like Tom Petty yep. the whole time. Yep, just cranking out hits for three decades or something. It's pretty four almost. Um, Yeah, it's wild. Well, cool. Trying to think. Yeah, I think it's a good place to stop it. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you for doing the podcast again. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Been a pleasure. My pleasure. The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is brought to you by Sure Legendary Microphones, Cutting Edge Wireless Systems, Premium Earphones and Headphones. Sure. The most trusted audio brand worldwide. For more information, go to sure.com. To ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact, visit urm.academy and press the podcast link today. <laughs>